0: Hello and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people, known today as the Stockbridge Muncie Community. I'm Bria Barthel.
1: And I'm Cena Bazilahickey. Today on the Hudson Mohawk magazine, we begin with Mark Dunley discussing the upcoming United Nations Climate Change Conference known as COP28 with David Schwartzman, a biogeochemist who is active with the Global Greens Climate Working Group. Then Troy librarian Ian Houck is back to recommend recent books on a variety of topics, including fantasy, role-play games, an airship disaster, and encyclopedias. After that, retired meteorologist Hugh Johnson joins us to talk about climate and weather, including the higher average global temperatures, and whatever else is happening in the climate and global weather area. And later on, our roaming labor correspondent, Willie Terry brings us part three of his coverage of the roundtable discussion, part of the struggle continues with Freedom Fighter, this time with Freedom Fighter and civil rights icon, Mukasa Dada, AKA Willie Rick and others. Finally, we have an interview with Natasha Pernicka, director of the food pantries of the capital region She speaks with Bria Barthel, but first hear the headlines.
0: On Wednesday, November 22nd, the Norlite hazardous waste incinerator filed suit against the state of New York in an effort to avoid complying with legal changes that require them to treat the fly ash from their incinerator as hazardous waste. While DEC and Norlight have been in discussions for two years about the possible granting of an exemption to the recent change in the law that took place after 40 years of study, DEC failed to inform the public about the negotiations at the November 20th public hearing over requiring Norlight to comply with the new law.
1: The Times Union reports that funders of the now defunct grocery store in the south end of Albany are asking questions about how their money was spent. Among the concerns is the interlocking relationship between the African American Cultural Center of the Capital Region and the nonprofit development consulting firm, Blue Light Development Group. Both were run by tra- Travis Jackson. The store closed in August after various bank lenders sent it a default notice.
0: Carver Company, the controversial developer of the proposed 80-acre wind turbine facility in the port of Queemans, now says it will not need the town, sorry, not need the town to rezone a 364-acre wildlife management area. Carver now proposes to keep the manufacturing portion of the project to land just north of the port that is already zoned for manufacturing. George McHugh, the Queemans town supervisor who was the former attorney for Carver, was recently defeated in his re-election bid.
1: After a recent public hearing, the city of Albany appears headed to added, to adding fluoride to its water system. The majority of New York residents have fluorided water, Opponents allege that fluoride can cause negative health impacts and that the value of using it in water systems to prevent tooth decay is greatly overstated. Most countries in Europe have experienced substantial declines in cavities without the use of water fluoridation. And that's it for the headlines. Can you tell that Sina
0: and I are getting over Thanksgiving still? For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding Capital Region through broad grassroots participation.
1: Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute your time, talents, or financial support, find the Donate button at mediasanctuary.org, or you can email us at hmm@mediasanctuary.org. at You can also call 518-272-2390.
0: And now to our first story. The United Nations Climate Conference, called COP28, will run from November 30th to December 9th in the United Arab Emirates. Key issues to be debated include whether to set a firm deadline to phase out the use of fossil fuels, and how industrial polluting nations will provide climate financing to the global south. Mark Dunley brings us this look at the issues.
2: We're talking to uh, David uh, Schwartzman, a professor emeritus at uh, Howard University. He's talked on, um, taught on, on climate. He's a among other things, a biogeochemist and active in, in various Green Party groups at the D.C. level, national, and even international level, part of the uh, global eco-socialist um, movement. But we've asked David to join us today to, uh, to talk about the COP28 meeting that's starting actually uh, later this week. So, David, why is this COP28 important and what are some of the things we hope to see out of it?
3: Number one the projections of the climate uh justice uh activists and so on uh to this the outcome is not very promising in terms of having the countries of the world particularly the leading carbon emitters making more vigorous uh, uh, pledges or commitments to reducing uh their emissions uh which will be necessary if we have any chance of avoiding uh exceeding the one and a half degree centigrade warming target which the ipcc uh has recognized as uh imperative to prevent much worse climate catastrophes than we now witness and by the way uh this target the one and a half degree centigrade target was forced by the Uh, in the process of COP by the Global South. And so that was an achievement, uh, though of course it's not being met. So that's the huge challenge we face now. A recent assessment by climate scientists uh, is telling us that if um, the global carbon emissions don't drop dramatically in the next uh, decade, this target will be exceeded uh and and this is in reference to the so-called carb, remaining carbon budget that is necessary that is uh calibrated to if it's succeeded to breach the one degree carbon uh the one half degree uh, temperature target. Now
2: so, uh, this conference is taking place from November 30th to uh, December 9th. Yes. Um, the uh, Secretary General of the United Nations, has com- continuously warned uh, that we're on co-red and that we're not doing anywhere near enough in terms of reducing emissions, has most recently warned that humanity has opened the gates to hell. And as you mentioned in Paris, it was groups like the United States, Gore, Obama, that uh, fought against you know lowering the target to one point five degrees. Are we finally going to see at this COP? an actual agreement to phase out in a relatively short period of time the use of fossil fuels?
3: Very much doubt it. Number one, the president of the COP28, of course, the host in the United Arab Emirates is the Sultan, who is the head of their national oil producing industry. And just just in BBC News, it's been released, and this was originally in the Guardian, uh, that uh, he sees this COP process, this meeting, as an opportunity to do more oil deals with his national company, with uh, Transnational Oil uh, Corporation. So the the bottom line here is that the investment in new fossil fuel infrastructure and extraction has been increasing. And of course, one of the key demands of the september 17th uh march in manhattan which we both were at was to end new fossil fuel investment this is absolutely a critical imperative to have any chance of uh opening up a path to uh meeting the one and a half degree warming target uh and so Where people, uh, I would join them, are not optimistic about the outcome of this meeting. However, and here's the uh, positive note: there is increasing appreciation globally that there is an intimate connection between the uh, climate challenge and the continuing wars that are going on in the world. In particular, now. Israel's genocidal war on the people of Gaza. And uh this uh we I could only mention, you know, the massive demonstrations around the world I participated in uh two massive demonstrations, one in the uh, Washington DC and then in London where I was at a meeting just early this month. Uh, and uh, we have to uh, congratulate Greta the uh leader one of the big leaders in climate movement around the world in demonstrating to end the war on gaza and she was severely criticized for this but uh we should applaud her making a connection and by the way i, I was in 2011 I wrote a... Um, we, we, we,
2: we got to jump in here because uh, we're running out, of, running out of time. One okay, of the things that did uh, occur at the last COP was you know, at least some recognition that the industrial North needs to start really paying to help the Global South deal with global warming, this idea of loss and damages. How is climate finance going to play out at this COP?
3: Well, it's not clear whether... Uh the Global North will fulfill its commitments of uh, that it's already been made. Uh, There's a lot of pressure, of course, from the Global South to do this. A lot uh, one of the critiques of this program is um, the fact that there would this would be in the form of loans. So again, the uh, the debt (laughs) again is uh, again emerging this issue. Uh, I would say that uh, the, uh, as a member of the Global Greens uh, Climate Working Group, uh, we put out a very uh, good demand statement, and uh, it includes uh, reference to this issue that you just mentioned. And we need, of course, a just transition for all, bringing the global working class into support for this transition, Because uh, in many cases now we see that short-sighted green um, uh, policies have alienated the working class because it puts the burden on them rather than the fossil fuel uh, corporations and the 1%. What's our
2: inside and outside strategy going into this COP meeting?
3: Yes, well, of course, the uh, uh, the Global Greens actually will have delegates, and I'm sure, and other climate justice uh, groups in the meeting, and these issues will be raised. But more importantly, uh, there will be uh, more pressure from the outside, and again, the linkage between all of these issues and building a more united global movement is imperative to have any chance of defeating fossil capital and its political instruments. And that, for me, is the priority for all humanity now, because unless fossil capital and its political instruments are defeated in a short term, we will plunge into a climate hell much worse than we now witness. And There's that will 30 seconds. ally. Well, ally. The, the, yes. What is
2: biden want to get out of cop 28
3: um i'm um, that's not clear uh again we might uh i haven't seen really a good analysis of that yet uh but uh we can judge from his embryonic green new deal which is very problematic but it's uh arguably better than nothing and it's certainly better than uh uh a future of a trump election where a trump will wipe out all environmental climate legislation Uh, well david
2: we're we're, we're out of time we've been talking with david Schwartzman, professor emeritus at howard university part of the global greens movement and this has been mark dunley for the hudson mohawk magazine
1: Thank you, Mark Dunley, for that report. President Biden announced on Monday that while a U.S. climate team, including Special Envoy John Kerry and others, will be attending the COP28 conference, Biden himself will not be going. This month we hear
0: book suggestions from librarians at Troy Public Library. This time it's Ian Houck in adult services recommending two novels and two nonfiction books. This is Bria Barthel for Hudson Mohawk Magazine, and I'm back once again for my monthly check-in with Ian Houck of Reference Services and Adult Services at Troy Public Library. Although, I'm not sure it's Ian because there's no manga and no anime, but he swears he is Ian Houck. So, Ian, if it is you, welcome back.
4: Thank you for having me.
0: So let's get to the books. Looks like you have an interesting variety.
4: Yes, thanks. First up is uh, Forged by Blood by Ihigbor Okosan. This is book one of a new uh, fantasy series, the Tainted Blood duology. Um, So being book one, you get into some world building here, and it's very much a kind of fantasy, but set with a colonial mindset where um, our main character, Demi, is of a... uh, group that is being overrun by a larger country, uh, and they are being subjected to, um, you know, the usual harassments of colonialization, but she has a blood magic art that she learns from her mother. Now, being the book one of the series, it has to set off the rest of the events in the series where, because of some misplaced trust in a young prince, uh, Prince Jonas, she loses her mother and has to begin a grand adventure. So this is good for those who are either emerging out of the YA readership, uh, many of you will enjoy this, or if you just enjoy a general um, kind of new new fantasy coming out of not the usual European mythology, but this coming out of um, African mythology as well.
0: Okay, so at least we have fantasy, so I guess you are, Ian, after all. And the second book?
4: Well, to to throw one into the mix, there is a contemporary romance called Role Playing -playing by Kathy Yardley. Uh, This book is about a mother who makes a deal with her 17-year-old son. I'll be more sociable if you're more sociable. Um, How she gets around this is that she begins playing an online multiplayer game. So that is at least that was an aspect I could uh, connect with. Um, which is also interesting being contemporary romance, the idea, uh, engaging with the idea of online friends being real friends and that's sort of the buildup. And then you'll start hitting the classic romance beats of, oh, we don't like each other. I'm more shut in. They're more open. We're talking, we're talking, big event happens in game and, and they finally, um, Fall in Love. Um, So a fun, light read uh, for me in in this case in comparison to some of the past recommendations I've given.
0: The only thing that seems to be missing is it's not the making of a Hallmark movie, but I guess it would have to have Christmas in there somehow at this time of year to be Hallmark.
4: It would uh, in this case, although, uh, you know, just a few tweaks, just add the word Christmas in. I'm sure we could get this (laughs) going. Uh, We'll get our writers together and we'll get it going.
0: Okay, I want... Recognition and the Acknowledgement section. Okay, and the next one.
4: Um, so next is a nonfiction title we have on our shelf. Uh, it's a new one. His Majesty's Airship, The Life and Tragic Death of the World's Largest Flying Machine by uh, S.C. Gwen. This is about, about the uh, British airship, the R-101. And this was uh, commissioned because there was an approach... Uh, in the uh, 1920s and 1930s, where the British Empire wanted an easier way to connect its different uh, disparate parts. And what uh, was commissioned was a large airship, the idea being we wouldn't have to sail around all the continents and different countries. We could just fly over them. Um, So the R-101, on its first long voyage, it was supposed to be going to uh, India, And what happened is, as it was leaving um, Cardigan, the weather across the English Channel in northern France and central France began to worsen. And what resulted is the R101 actually ended up crashing and um, emulating just outside of the woods of Alon in France. Um, Of the passengers, only six survived, and it was actually a crash that was uh, larger than the Hindenburg.
0: So this is a nonfiction book.
4: It is, yes. It's about the history of um, one of the largest airship crashes in history.
0: So forgive me, but what's the difference between an airship and a blimp? Uh,
4: An airship or dirigible, for those who like to use that word, is a dirigible um, has a more solid outer structure, whereas blimps as we know them are softer and more balloon-like. This uh, was an airship being more solid, uh, had um, steel and iron rings within it. And um, the, the effects was, in its study afterwards, after the crash, to kind of investigate it for the government, they were doing studies, building models, uh, putting things into a wind tunnel, really trying to understand the effects of this. And the idea is, even though airships, we understand that they are uh, much slower Uh, Than other modes of transportation they do need to maintain a uh, type of speed to stay properly upright so in the investigation what they found was uh, within the crashes the R101 was actually nose down and they figured at impact with the research they had that it was traveling at 13 miles an hour when it made impact and burst in the flame
0: and I don't remember if you said, what time period are we talking about here?
4: Yes. So this, um, the the date of the crash was October 5th, 1930. Um, so it was uh, commissioned in um, uh, 1929, and its uh, crash was in October 1930.
0: Thanks. I don't remember hearing of this before. Thanks. And then you've got the next book covers... Everything you didn't talk about yet. What's the next book?
4: Uh, so the next book is all the knowledge in the world: the extraordinary history of the encyclopedia by Simon Garfield. Now this one is uh, not as large as an encyclopedia because it's just supposed to—it's just the history about them. But it's a really, uh, I thought, fascinating way to engage with the idea of—is it even possible to collect all the knowledge in the world?
0: So it's sort of no truth in advertising if it says it's all the knowledge in the world but it's not
4: it is not um now again this is one of those that i have a pick for is where i i picked it to engage with the idea not so much for the um the uh writing that was really going to draw you in it is interesting it, it, it is interesting and it's about the history of trying to collect the information but um I really enjoyed it for the ability to engage with the idea of trying to learn that much. Uh, The idea of an encyclopedia even carries on today when we consider what we try to do with the Internet. Um, On the Internet, we we even say you have access to everything. But do you really? It's an attempt we're making, um, but it's not always going to pan out. And then even if we are successful, if we could in one place collect all the knowledge in the world... How much can one person know is a ni- is something that I kind of came up with. Is, um, is a master of calligraphy also supposed to be able to under- fully understand hydro hydrophysics?
0: Somehow that idea of all the knowledge in the world reminds me of a meme that went around uh, during the pandemic of somebody sitting at the computer and saying, well, I've seen everything on the internet. What else is there to keep me occupied?
4: Uh, yes, that would... All the things on the Internet. That would be uh, quite a feat. Uh, (laughs) To which I would recommend coming to your local public library.
0: (laughs) Nicely done, sir. And then how far back does all the knowledge in the world, how far back does it go for encyclopedias history?
4: Uh, The encyclopedias, um, encyclopedias really got started in medieval to renaissance europe but again the pursuit of collecting knowledge goes all the way back through all human history um it was one of the ideas behind the library of alexandria where when you actually came into port in alexandria the trading ships were searched to see if they had any texts aboard and if they did they were confiscated taken to the library and transcribed. and uh transcribed to be put into the collection before they were returned to you
0: and that sound of admiring the alexandrian library comes from the head of adult and reference services at our local troy public library in Hauk. for troy public library at 102nd street in troy and the website the where the word the is an important part of the URL to keep you in New York State. Thanks a lot, Ian. Thank you. And this is Bria Barthel for
1: Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Full title, full title and author information for the books mentioned can be found in the segment description on our website. And for details about upcoming Troy Public Library events, including one this Saturday, December 2nd, on the History of the Poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas, and we will have an interview about that coming in our next episode, visit their website, thetroylibrary.org.
0: For those just tuning in, I'm Bria Barthel. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network. WOOCLP 105.3 FM, Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM, Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM, Schenectady, and WOOALP 106.9 FM, Albany, plus streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York.
1: And I'm Sina Basila-Hickey. If you like what you hear, you can support this program by joining our team or just tell a friend. Sharing is caring. You can find today's stories and more at Mediasanctuary.org.
0: And now joining us once again is retired National Weather Service meteorologist Hugh Johnson for our weekly discussion of weather and climate. Welcome back, Hugh.
5: Well, welcome back. Uh, I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving.
0: Had a lovely Thanksgiving. Thank you for keeping the snow away. so yeah, that's uh, good. what yeah. other interesting, <laughs> what interesting weather took place this past week?
5: Well, we had we did get our first snow the uh, the other night Tuesday night. A lot of people got a couple inches of the snow, a little more than I thought, but nothing really big going on catastrophically. Except there is something there is some disturbing news out of the antarctic there is a, a glacier a, a piece of the antarctic glacial shield that broke off it becomes an iceberg when that happens it was actually stationary it has now started moving again it's it's a it's the largest glacier in the world it's i think it's called a3a or something bigger three times bigger than new york city and it's on the move in the wendell sea and it's moving out towards the um the ocean there and the problem with these kind of There's been a lot of melting going on in the Antarctic, uh, more than than scientists realized before. And what's disturbing about that is it could inject a higher sea rise level than we originally thought. And that's not good news because, as you know, there's a lot of people live near sea level. So that's the last thing we need. But unfortunately, it's something that really has to be monitored because, again, this This isn't the, uh, the ice on the actual Arctic continent, but it's in the ocean. And that's what's melting. And it's melting faster than even the uh, Arctic ice, believe it or not. So it's something that needs to be monitored.
1: So well,
0: for the Arctic go ahead, for the Bria. Arctic ice, I hear that we might have the Northwest <clears throat> Passage after all, that it, we might get a clear passage through the Arctic.
5: Yeah, it might happen sometime in our lifetime. It didn't happen this year, but it certainly could. Uh, maybe next year with El Nino, we'll see, but probably not. For at least a few more years, because if it happens too quickly, we're really in trouble.
1: <laughs> so, this is just a uh, reminder that the uh, how th- around the world, like it feels like it's so far away, but really it could really impact, especially New York City. Um, this glacier yeah. that I believe is called, I have in our notes, A23A.
5: Oh, A23A, you're right. I, I missed it, but one number. Yep, yeah, you're right.
1: I don't know if you know the answer to this. Do you know how glaciers are, are named? That, uh, is there like a n- numerical system that's kind of an interesting name?
5: I'm not sure. I, I You got me. I, I can't really say offhand. <laughs> Probably something like that, some categorical way, but uh, the bigger ones are named. That is true.
1: So... What else should we know in the way? What is the, what else should we know about the relationship between the melting ice, the um, and the icebergs that are coming up in the north, and how we are impacted by it, but also how we impact the the melting ice? What reminders could you give us on our relationship to this faraway phenomenon?
5: Well, I mean, again, it's warmer oceans, warmer temperatures, warmer oceans, more m- melting, uh, and we got to watch for the. Uh, in the Atlantic that there is a chance that the Gulf Stream could shut down, which would be disastrous. It hasn't done that, but there are some inklings that it has weakened a little bit. So there are many, many concerns, but the main concern is the sea level. Uh, If you you even raise the sea level a few feet, you're inundating a lot more real estate. We're already seeing what we call king tides down in Miami, which are high tides that occur without really any Any storms, just an onshore flow and an astronomical high tide is all you need. And tonight's a full moon, by the way, so that's giving us a higher than normal tide because of that. So, yeah, there's definitely some things that we have to really watch with the melting ice. It's it's very, very disconcerting.
0: So I was going to ask you about that with the Monday night having a full moon. I've always wondered, is it just tides that the full moon affects or does it have any other impact on weather?
5: A very good question. It, it indirectly affects the weather. The tides. You just you got, came on a, an interesting note. The tides change in water can actually change the temperature of the water a little bit, which of course can interact with the atmosphere and produce some some inter, you know some change in in the atmosphere. Uh, and what I've noticed is that some of the biggest nor'easters have occurred during full and and uh, new moons because those are when the tides are the highest. Uh, when there when you have a half and a half moon, it's the the gravity of the sun and the moon are actually working against each other. But there's something to consider here. When you have the higher tides, like we said, that can have a bigger, that can make a storm have a bigger impact. Give you an example, Sandy. Now, Sandy occurred long before the moon was full, but it, it, Atlantic City, right during the full moon and the high tide. So that contributed to it causing so much trouble. It came at the worst possible time. So that added, unfortunately, bad situation made it worse. Uh, i can i can I can name up a lot of storms where the tide the moon was full or new, but the superstorm of ninety three I checked it was actually going uh, between the, between a new and a, and a full moon, so that storm had nothing to do with the, the phase of the moon, and it was the tide were, were, the tides weren't that much of a problem in that storm, but of course that storm disrupted travel across the eastern seaboard so yes, there is some indirect effect, but it's not a strong correlation you can't say because there's going to be a full moon on whatever date that means there's going to be a large storm that's not how it works but everything indirectly works with each other so hopefully i explained that a little bit basically the tides changing uh can change the water temperature and change some of the interaction with the atmosphere
1: so interesting
5: yeah you got it
1: so you did mention that we had our first snow at least where i saw it looked more like slush than proper snow but uh um, so what are some things as we're heading into the snowy time, um, what are some ways that we can help prepare ourselves? We talk a lot about climate change. Um, and so what are some ways that we can, um, navigate the winter and, uh, be aware of our energy consumption?
5: Okay. Well, let me, first of all, I, make sure you I start my snowblower today. It might be, this is probably a good time because the start one, because, we we'll certainly have the next few days. Will be plenty cold enough for snow. Some of us are going to see lake effect snow, but no big coastals. But uh, you know, and put your snow brushes in your car. Don't be caught without them if you're if you're out in the snow and it starts snowing and you don't have your snow brush and you're trying to use your glove or your hand or or use your credit card to to get rid of the frost. It might break your credit card. So have that all ready to go. Uh, You know, have you know, it wouldn't hurt to have an emergency weather uh, emergency kit in your car. Uh, In case you do break down, people do break down. It's not just long trips either. You might be going to the mall and and there's a breakdown and and you hit a snow squall or something. Just be prepared. Um, As far as, you know, insulation, all that. Just be be ready for all the, have your house well insulated, have your furnace looked at, um, be ready for winter. Because it's going to be pretty cold starting off December. A lot of people thought it would be a mild December, but it's certainly not starting off that way.
0: (laughs) Okay. And um, it's not starting off that way. And what's coming at us? It looks like it gets a little warmer next later in the week.
5: Yes, it does. But the next two days will not be warm. They'll be in the low to mid-30s, wind chills in the 20s. Lake effect snow. There's a lake effect snow warning if you're going out up towards the Tug Hill Plateau, up to two feet of snow locally in spots. Um, it, may up to, it may be plowable snow down to almost Utica. Uh, we might even get a dusting here from snow lake effect snow uh, tonight and tomorrow. So just don't, don't be totally alarmed. You wake up and there's a little snow on the ground tomorrow, hoping there isn't, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. So cold the next few days, like you said, moderating and then a little bit of a rain situation on Friday should be rain because would be mild enough for that. And then maybe a bigger one late Sunday, Monday, right now, looks warm enough for rain. We'll see though, because, it wouldn't take much of a shift of that to make it a little colder for snow. So, something we got to keep an eye on. So, there are potential potential for some accumulating snow in the next week to 10 days. Nothing likely, though.
1: So, we have uh, about 30 seconds left. Um, we were talking about biking and talking about weather. So, do you have um, what are some ways that bikers can be safe in the winter? in 30 seconds
5: uh lots and lots of lights where lots of lots of lights because you get the glare before sunset it gets dark early and uh unfortunately there was a cyclist killed today on central was it day or yesterday on central mm. avenue in the middle of the day have lights reflectivity uh bundle up you know bring warm gear because uh, it will it gets cold fast i personally don't like biking when it's below freezing but and and, and when you're biking you might hit a patch of ice somewhere when you're turning that road might be otherwise dry, but that little patch of ice can change your life in a heartbeat. So just be careful.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Hugh.
5: You got it, everyone. Okay. Yeah, have a great week.
0: Thanks for joining us once again. We look
1: forward to talking with you next week. Excellent. You too. Thank you. <laughs> so next, our Rooming Labor correspondent, Willie Terry, brings us the part... The third part of his coverage of the roundtable discussion entitled The Struggle Continues. Um, This was recorded back in October. Participants in this uh, seven-part series include the freedom fighter and civil rights icon Mukasa Dada, a.k.a. Willie Rick, as well as correspondents Carlos Duflar, a poet who was involved in the 1968 Poor People's Campaign, and Carlos's son, Angel Martinez, a uh, professor of history at Hunter College in New York City.
6: When we came together, we got exposed to a situation that was happening all over the world, and we learned a word called imperialism. And imperialism is when capitalism operated all over the world. and take everybody's natural resources, kill them, commit genocide on them like they're doing in Palestine. You see today, they're doing the same thing in the Congo, they're doing the same thing in South Africa, and they're doing the same thing in Central and South America. So when we came together in SNCC, all the people around the world that's rebelling against imperialism, all the people that around the world that's fighting for freedom, we join in with them. And today we stand with freedom fighters worldwide, and we're fighting against imperialism. And with people that stand up, like for warriors like Castro, we stand with Fidel Castro. We stand with Russia and China. Russia that's fighting the war against uh, the United States in in uh, Ukraine, wherever it's. Yeah, we join. we stand with them, we stand with China, we stood with Vietnam when they was fighting against the United States, and anybody that's fighting against imperialism is our friend, and we recognize that we'll never be free until Africa's free, because we're African people, and that our fight is for Africa. We need to liberate Africa, where we would have a land, we would have diamonds, gold, oil, rubber, zinc, and all the natural resources that it will take for us to develop our people worldwide. So sneak taught us to be revolutionaries. <laughs> no, I got a question. I got a question. Oh, okay. So um, I guess my question for Brother Mukasa is uh what um what 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 lesson can you impart to all these younger generations? I mean, people even younger than me. I'm I'm dealing with people even half my age, and that's saying something. Yeah, I mean what's um what's something that that's a message that let them know that, you know, this is their stroke too. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of young people uh, uh, condemning Israel for, for the genocide in Gaza. And uh, there's a lot of consciousness among young people building on the other end of Africa, Sahara, Western Sahara. So, I mean, what message can we impart that really brings forth to say, hey, you know, it's great you're out there, but we need to be internationalists and anti-imperialists too. What message can we send to them? Well, we need to get mess that gave us all. SNCC, when we came together at CNCC, we became a mighty force. And so, organization definitely is your, one of your greatest weapons. And to learn your history and learn the truth, then that's another great weapon. History is a great weapon because it'll guide you to direct and show you, put you towards your reconstruction. Our fight is for Africa. And that uh, uh, my, to all our young people, get organized. And began to learn about your history and your culture. Began to learn about uh, Africa. And at the same time, began to learn about revolutionary nations and groups and individuals like Malcolm X, like Fidel Castro, like Kwame Nkrumah, like Sekou Jure, like Glamumba in the Congo, like uh, all freedom fighters. Most of them, you never know their name, but there are so many out there. And oh, we yeah. And we need to bring these groups together. And we need to let all these little brothers that got gangs know that uh, you're our freedom fighters and we gotta train you to be freedom fighters and you are our soldiers. And we wanna guide you where you can begin to fight for your liberation and freedom. And that if you are, good game and you're a real game, then when the brake truck comes through your neighborhood, you'll take it over and send us some money for the revolution. But if you're fighting among yourselves, you're just a puppet for imperialism and your enemy. So all y'all little young brothers and sisters, let's come together. And, and, and began to do stuff to fight together instead of fighting over the white man's money. And money ain't nothing but paper with their picture on it. And we come from Africa. We got diamonds and gold and oil and silver and copper and pearl and cobalt and manganese. And we're the smartest people in the world. We need revolution. So SNCC called for us and it led us to the truth. My wife tell me I'm preaching too loud. And I started preaching, I started hollering, I started screaming, but she have to slow me down something, Okay, baby. <laughs> we have to prepare to fight and tell our people the truth and let them know the truth and let them know who we are because once we... Once we began to demonstrate and protest, the truth just kept coming at us, and now we began to see the truth on a worldwide level, and we know that we are part of every struggle. That's why we feel that we are an intimate part of what's going on in Palestine today, and watching the Zionists and the imperialist United States and NATO and the punk United Nations kill and commit genocide on the people in Palestine, long live Palestine. But I just
7: wanted to say we also have to think about not only Freedom Summer, the Freedom writers, but the National Black Anti-War Draft Union in Bogota, which I was a member because I was young, in mm-hmm. high school. But I want to, t- you know, we have to honor that. We have to honor our anti struggle that in 1966 that we were a human rights organization. We were not a civil rights organization. We have to clarify that because we were fighting for the liberation of people not what they call accommodations of some type of thing where some people were slick and became some type of leaders and all that, but we were fighting for the dignity of human being from imperialist madness that exists to this day, and now we see it and it's manifesting to the Palestinians that we fought against it, and when we spoke out that we were a human rights organization and we supported in trouble. You know, that question what Angel asked about
2: the uh, young people, that's a very important question in terms of today because young people really need, you know, to uh, know the history and, and need direction. And although some of them are, are making their own history and their own direction. Mikasa, what do you think of the uh, Black Lives Matter movement?
6: Uh, Black Lives Matter just remind me of SNCC when they, they were killing us, murdering us, and doing everything, mm-hmm. and all this stuff that's happening, everybody just come together. And they came together and stooped bricks, balls, demonstrated and said, hell no, and whatever. And when we were out there like that, scattered like that, we came from everywhere demonstrating and protesting. Ella Baker called us together and said, y'all need to unite and form an organization and you'll be even a greater weapon. Mm-hmm. And that's so I'm looking for the point that uh, Black Lives Matter will come together and form one organization and begin to have an objective uh, like Pan-Africanism, began to uh, uh, teach history, where well, we could began to see the Africa and our history and culture, and began to see imperialism for what it is and what it's doing and how we got to fight it. And definitely you fight it when you uh, uh, come together as an organization. So one of the things that SNCC taught us, we need to be organized. And everywhere that SNCC sent us, as uh, when we went down to represent SNCC, in every city and town, encounter that we went in the first thing we did was form a local organization create local leadership and then we go and get the youth and get us a youth movement and we would uh, work with that and 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 uh guide direct we even create freedom schools I was teaching school down there brother Africa <laughs> freedom <laughs> I was a school teacher. freedom schools Form freedom schools and in- Talk freedom songs and did everything and gave people, uh, uh, taught people not to be afraid and to to attack. So we began on the offense. We were on the offense. We were attacking anything wrong in our community that we saw. So Black Lives Matter gonna have to come together and form an organization and become. Cause right now it's Black Lives Matter is spontaneous. Right. But if you come together and form an organization, they'll become a weapon. Uh, uh, for uh, the liberation of our people. Right.
2: I, I know you talked about the importance of uh, Africa, and I know that you know when you worked with Kwame Ture, you know that was one of his passion. I raised that boy. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we're gonna talk actually about that too. But what do you think are the most important problems or issues that we have in the black community in, in America, or the most important issues that, that's going on in America today?
6: Not just in America, but the most important thing we could ever do, uh, uh, link ourselves with our brothers in the Caribbean, West Indies, and and, and South and Central America, and anywhere we find ourselves, and with Africa. And that's what Marcus Garvey called Pan Africanism. And we link ourselves together and realize that if you fight and want liberation, you got to fight for something. And our fight is for Africa. And everywhere we have seen people fight and struggle and whatever and, and, and make any progress, they were fighting over land. And our land is Africa. Palestine is fighting over land, Palestine. China is fighting for China. And that's why they're going to take Taiwan soon. And that, uh, all the- <laughs> that's why our brothers in South and Central America. Are uh, 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 fighting and Russia has played a role in all of this by giving people guns, weapons, and training. And Putin came to African State over ten years, gave us guns, bombs, weapons, ammunition, money, bus, food, toothpaste, toothbrushes, uh, food, and everything, helping us work for our liberation. And so, the most important thing is realize that we have to fight for our principle. As the principal cause we are fighting for is socialism, an uh, economic system that says everything in the world belongs to all the people. Diamonds, gold, oil, silver, copper, pearl, everything, and we all have a piece in it.
0: The organization SNCC was mentioned a few times. That's SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee a major group in the 1960s U.S. civil rights movement. This was part three of the roundtable, The Struggle Continues. Hear other segments at mediasanctuary.org and in future episodes.
1: And as we come off of a holiday centered around food, we end our program with this interview by Bria Barthel about the ever-increasing demand on food pantries by people trapped uh, in low income and high prices.
0: This is Bria Barthel for Hudson Mohawk Magazine, and I'm here with an important message from Natasha Pernica of the Food Pantries for the Capital District. Natasha, in my email today, I got a video from you about
8: the challenges the food pantries are facing. Tell us a little bit about that. I would love to, and thank you so much for having me today. Unfortunately, um, we all know that food is a basic need, and it's been very challenging since COVID. However, hunger didn't stop when the COVID emergency ended. In fact, here in New York's capital region, as a coalition of nearly 70 food pantries, first quarter already, we're seeing a 30% increase in community need. We're seeing people who have never had to turn to food pantries before, people who have children and both parents are working, We've had seniors coming because their SNAP benefits have been decreased. We're really in a difficult situation right now. When you say SNAP, I think people know that that's the replacement for food stamps.
0: One of the things that I thought was interesting was the difference between the emergency needs in the past and the regular supplement because of the financial challenges people face.
8: People use food pantries because they don't have enough resources and food pantries provide groceries. You're coming away with a minimum of three days worth of food. Some pantries do more than that. And it's based on the MyPlate model. So you're getting proteins, grains, fruits and vegetables, dairy. Some people turn to food pantries for a short-term crisis. They got laid off, their car broke down and, and they have very limited resources. So they're helping to get through. Other people turn to food pantries every month because they just don't have sustainable resources. And so every month the food pantries help them get by. And we're now seeing more and more people not being able to get by on a monthly basis.
0: You mentioned the COVID changes. That happened at both the individual level of the end of the COVID bump in SNAP benefits but also at a higher level of the end of support for food banks?
8: Yeah. So unfortunately, while food pantries, not just in the Capital District, but across the state of New York, are experiencing extreme increases, the COVID emergency ended, which means there's less free food coming from federal through the food bank system as there was during COVID most of the food that pantries have to acquire from the food bank there's a cost associated with it so costs are going up for food pantries because not only do food pantries uh, acquire food at the food banks but they also have to turn to grocery stores sometimes it can be cheaper to get things on sale at a grocery store and we also have inventory challenges in the supply chain still So everything that food pantries want to distribute out to the community is not always available. So we have less federal funding coming through to the food bank system as during COVID. We also have less state funding coming through to food pantries. And while in the state budget, the two programs that fund food for our charitable food system, both the food banks and food pantries, Nourish New York and HIPNAP, the Hunger Prevention Nutrition Assistance program through Department of Health, they're both incredible programs to help pantries and food banks buy for food. However, with food inflation being at even 10% for a lot of the pantry staple items, this flat funded budget is actually at an $8 million net loss if you take into consideration inflation over last year. So pantries are basically having to do more with less resources. I mean, you know, when you go to the grocery store, food prices are still high. And the food prices are not high because the companies have a need. I recently saw an article that said the four major food corporations in America are actually seeing billions of dollars record profits right now. It's honestly very disturbing. So we've got Basically everything working against the food pantries right now and we're really trying to reach out to the community to say can you please come together we've been actively working to deliver this message to the government but it can take time for those resources to come through and we're hopeful we know the state cares and we know they want to do the right thing but sometimes these things can take time and right now we have a large number of people turning to food pantries
0: I want to go back a little bit to The structure of the food distribution can you talk us through what the system is like what's the difference between the food bank a food pantry and then the food pantries
8: for the capital district sure we're all working together to help end hunger the food pantries the individual food pantries like i mentioned there's almost 70 food pantries in our coalition so the Food Pantries for the Capital District is a coalition of about 70 food pantries. And these food pantries, if you are a person in need of food, you would go to a food pantry to get food. Many of them are located in churches. About 50 percent are totally volunteer run. Other food pantries are located in larger human services organizations and might have some paid staff, but still rely heavily on volunteers. So those are the food pantries. So where do the food pantries get their food from? About 60 to 80 percent of the food that food pantries distribute comes from food banks. So here in the capital region, we have one food bank and they get food from the government, the USDA food, which is free. We can get free produce. And then most of the food pantries has a cost associated with it, whether it's a shared maintenance fee or co-op, which is basically like shopping wholesale. So pantries couldn't do it without. Uh, the food bank, because their dollars can go a lot farther paying for food at the food bank than going to a grocery store and having to rely on paying retail prices.
0: That brings us to the idea of what are ways that individuals can help meet the need and what are the best ways to do it? What are some of the options?
8: Yeah, pantries' dollars can definitely go farther in the long run because they do get most of their food from the food bank. So if you are able to support food pantries through financial contributions, that is a huge help. After that is to find out what do your local food pantries need. And food drives can be helpful, especially if you're going to a store and you see a sale load up on things. Some of the stable items that food pantries really appreciate are canned meals like soups, stews, Um, Things that are easy for kids to eat, you know, box meals, cereal, canned fruits and vegetables. Just look in your own pantry and see, you know, what do you keep in your pantry and bring those things down to a local food pantry. The other thing that is really appreciated, especially by people uh, visiting food pantries for assistance, is things like dish detergent, laundry detergent. Um, personal hygiene products, deodorant, toothpaste, SNAP, or what was formerly called food stamps doesn't cover those kind of items, and they can be very expensive. And usually food pantries themselves don't spend money on those items because they're focused more on food, but people in the community really appreciate being able to walk away with those items as well. And volunteering. If you are someone especially who can dedicate regular time, pantries use volunteers as a labor force. And while I talk about like the one and done, like one-time show up and volunteer can be helpful, most pantries' volunteer needs are more for a regular, steady person that they can train to do a specific task and really be a part of the regular team. If you are wanting to get involved, uh, the Food Pantries for the Capital District can help find a food pantry for you to volunteer at. You can go to our website, thefoodpantries.org, and we can uh, help you get involved.
0: Your website has information on if you want to donate, if you want to volunteer, and especially if you need food. What are the locations of the food pantries? Where can you go? When
8: can you go? Any other information in our final moment that you want to mention? I just have to say thank you so much for including me in your program. I know that we all care. Um, We have an incredibly generous community and a lot of people are going through hardship right now. If you're able to help, please do. And also, if if you are a person who reaches out to your public representatives, please share this message uh, with them. They really need to hear that this is a major crisis right now. We really appreciate that. I hope that this helps. So
0: that was Natasha Pernica from the Food Pantries for the Capital District. Their website, again, is thefoodpantries.org. Nashasha, thank you for everything that you and your crew do. Thank you. Speaking of volunteers, many, including me, will be gift wrapping at the book house of the Stuyvesant Plaza in the next few weeks in exchange for tips for the food pantries. Stop by or maybe even call the food
1: pantries to join us as a volunteer. And that's our show. I'm Bria Barthel. And I'm Cena Bazila-Hickey. We want to thank all the other volunteers, in addition to Brie Barthel, who made this episode possible. Mark Dunley, Willie Terry, Hugh Johnson, thank you. And thanks to you, our listeners, for making
0: this all worthwhile.